I want to welcome both members and visitors to our 8.30 a.m. service here at Preston Crest Church of Christ. I'm Charlie Johnston, one of the elders, and we're happy to have you join us, both here physically and virtually through our streaming. If you are a first-time visitor, please fill out the attendance card in the back of the pews and take it to our information desk in the foyer. We want to welcome you with a special gift and get to know you better as we see you after service. Please take the time now, if you haven't done so already, to text CHECK-IN to church teams at the number on the screen, 469-476-5331. When you check in, you will immediately receive our digital bulletin, and we will all know you are on campus in case of an emergency situation. Also, just text the word ME to that number anytime to request prayers, search our directory, or be automatically logged in as a member to our full website. Any prayer or contact request can also be made by filling out one of the cards in the back of the pews and dropping it in the contribution box in the foyer. Let's celebrate this morning that as Christians, we are a child of a king. Let's celebrate that God is in control. And let's celebrate that there's great hope laid up for each one of us in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all our blessings, our homes, our health, our jobs, our opportunities you give us our friends and families. Father, we have some members of our family that we want to bring before you this morning, and we especially ask that you would be with Patience Adu, Arthur Nick Scott, and Susan Wyatt in their recovery from surgeries. That you'd be with Betty Bill in her continued recovery at her daughter's home, and Anita Goodspeed in her upcoming surgeries. Father, please surround these families with your comfort and love and help us to be your hands and feet as we support them during this time. We continue to also pray for, that you bring peace to the Ukraine and give protection, comfort, and healing to all those people in, impacted by that conflict. God, we thank you for the talents you've given each of us here at Preston Crest to use in your service. And I pray that we will all find that special area of service where we can help your kingdom grow and be more effective, bringing those around us both near and far into your family. Father, we also ask that you be with Gordon this morning as he helps us see how each of us can live our best life as members of your family. In Jesus Christ's blessed name we pray. Amen. For our call to worship this morning, please read with me from Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. 
before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not think you
We're going to sing one more song as we enter into our communion time this morning, and then Mike Smith is going to come lead us around the bread and the cup. When I Gordon's sermons have, uh, over the past few weeks, got me thinking a little bit about, obviously, sin and, and David. So we're going to stay in Psalms this morning. As uh, David wrote this, at his lowest point in his life. But we're going to focus on cleansing and joy and the wondrous cross this morning for us. Cleanse me. This is uh, Psalms 51. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. <clears throat> Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So this wondrous cross has a lot of joy for us in it. We don't, we're not cleansed with hyssop. We're cleansed with the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. So let's observe the body of Christ with this bread. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, your son hung on a cross for us, a gift, a, an amazing gift on that wondrous cross. And may we focus on uh, that body this morning with this bread and cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen.
continue with the blood of Christ as it washes us clean. Shall we pray? Dear Father, as we take this wine and may it um, help us focus on the, the sacrificial blood of your Son on that cross and this gift. And may this gift outpour from us into the world. And may your light be seen. In Jesus' name. church a couple of ways that you can give this morning obviously you can drop a check or whatever offering you bring this morning in the box in the middle of the foyer or you can give online as so many are already doing and thank you however you choose to to give to the good works of this church we're gonna see a video in just a minute about the women of worship this is a group of ladies that meet on Tuesday mornings you'll hear about that but that is such a great work that is a a work of this church that keeps, keeps us turning our eyes to Jesus, keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus during the week. And so that's a good thing. Let's, uh, let's bow.
Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the night's rest. May our worship today be pleasing. May our hearts be tuned to you. Father, I pray that our worship spills out into this week. That we have hearts full of your word. May your name be on our lips. May these songs be in our hearts and our minds this week. May we give you praise, not just today, but this week, because you are worthy. You are worthy of our offering. You are worthy of our praise. It is in your name that we praise, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, Preston Crest family. I'm Annette Collier. And I'm Karen McCauley. Karen and I are blessed to be a part of Women of Worship, which is also known as WOW. We gather together on Tuesday mornings beginning in September throughout mid-May. We are a group of women devoted to studying God's Word, praying together, and serving members at Preston Crest and in our community. One of the best parts of being involved in Women of Worship is establishing friendships with other ladies in a variety of seasons of life, ranging from young mothers to ladies in retirement. Child care is available during class, with extended child care as an option until 2 p.m. This year's theme for WOW is focusing on our daily walk in community with God. Annette and I would like to encourage you to join us for our WOW opening day on Tuesday, September 13th, beginning at 9.30. This year's guest speaker is Jody Compton. Jody leads the children's ministry team at Southwest Church of Christ in Tigard, Oregon. She and her husband, Mark, have three children and a daughter in love and most importantly a grandson that attend Preston Crest. Following our speaker we will enjoy a luncheon together. Feel free to contact Annette or me or refer to this week's bulletin for more information about the women of worship. We look forward to having you join us along with your neighbors and friends. Thank you for supporting ministries like WOW at Preston Crest. All right. Church, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church right now. We'll sing one more song, and then Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. Let the King of my heart be the
Amen. You know, WOW is one of those ministries. John Scott helps people just feel like this is their place. It's a hospitality ministry. Um, Preston Crest, I think, is a place many of us have found just kind of a place to belong here. And I know when we moved here, uh, it's been a while, 2008, the end of 2008, that uh, my wife found in WOW a place to make friendships and integrate into this family here at Preston Crest. So hope you can be a part of that. Um, you do have to be a lady, and I'm a little hacked off about that, but uh, I've worked for 14 years to change that and have been unsuccessful. But So it's just for the ladies. Another one of those is come to the table, which... Do we have any spots left and come to the table? We do. We have a few spots left. I know it, it pretty well filled up last week, so there aren't many. Uh, but it's another one of those ministries that helps you find your place here at Preston Crest. And we give preference, of course, to new folks. So if you're new here, uh, grab one of those last slots and come to the table. The Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of funny. Uh, when people walk up to me during this series and say, hey, great sermon or really love the message, I don't really know what to do with that because these are not my messages. These are his, I hope, I pray. Uh, I'm really just walking through a sermon that Jesus preached a long, long time ago. And it's interesting, uh, more than any other perhaps, for sure sermon, but maybe more than any other speech in history, this one has made an impact. I mean, folks quote from the Sermon on the Mount all the time. It shows up in everyday conversation. People perhaps sometimes don't even realize that when they say, go the extra mile, judge not lest you be judged, or turn the other cheek, or salt of the earth, they are quoting from this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this week, I don't even know how I, how I came across this, but chased this rabbit hole for about a minute on U.S. presidents in history who have quoted from the Sermon on the Mount, John Adams, John Quincy Adams. How about FDR? How about Truman? How about Obama? I'm sure there are others. It's just this sermon has made such an impact in our country and in the world. Uh, so we're, we're engaging this sermon during this series, and we're, we're learning what it means for us. I love the words of a former U.S. Supreme Court justice long, long time ago, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. He said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, most people are willing to take the Sermon on the Mount as a flag to sail under. But few are willing to use it as a rudder by which to steer. Aren't those good words? We're his disciples. We're followers of Jesus. He is our Lord. And so we're coming into this sermon. We're studying line by line, word by word, because we want these words to be the rudder by which we steer. And we believe we're steering into our best life. We're steering into the kingdom life through the Sermon on the Mount. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. And we're going to encounter, in these words this morning, the supreme ethic of Jesus. The foundation of his life, his ministry, his teaching. 
We're going to talk about love this morning and not the ordinary, mundane, disposable, expiration date, shallow love of this world, but the agape of God. This is what we are called to live by. And so these are strong and fierce words this morning. Let's go into the text, into this sermon that Jesus preached so many years ago, Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now we're going to just pause here a moment because we've noticed this over the past uh, 12 weeks so far, give or take. Um, Jesus is going to go back to the law of Moses, to foundational teachings that Israel received many centuries before, and he's going to correct misunderstandings over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. You heard this, but I tell you this. He's not changing the Word of God. He is correcting misunderstandings about the Word of God. In this case, his audience, and maybe you, hear this phrase, an eye for an eye. Or the other phrase, a tooth for a tooth. And what they heard and what many people hear today is a call to vengeance. To get even, to seek to take it out on that person that, that got you, on that enemy, payback. But really, originally, and Jesus is clearing this up in the text we're reading today, eye for eye, tooth to tooth, it wasn't a call to revenge, to get even, to, to get payback. What it was, they were kind of maximum sentencing guidelines. They were limits on retaliation, not an invitation to retaliation. They are making sure that the punishment fits the crime. If somebody, if somebody runs over your goat, you can't run over their child with your ox cart. Maximum sentencing guidelines. And while we're at it, these were not really given to people on a personal level, an individual level. These were more informing the judiciary of the day. The courts and the legal system, right? We have to limit the fines, the punishments uh, in our society. So originally, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, these were limitations. And Jesus is correcting that misunderstanding. Uh, and then he goes even further. If you're slapped on the, on the right cheek, turn the other cheek as well. He says, don't resist the one who is evil. Now, is he saying to let the bad guy do whatever they want? That's not what he is saying. Resistance here has more to do, once again, with retaliation, right? When you get punched, don't punch back. When you get insulted, don't insult back. And we are tempted to do that. It is very natural to do that. But we are, as disciples of God, not to engage in this tit-for-tat escalation. We cut the cycle of violence, the cycle of retribution off, because we are children of the king. At that time, a slap on the right cheek was, it wasn't really a physical attack, an act of violence as we might perceive it today. It was an insult. It was an insulting gesture. We know he's not talking about a punch being thrown here because if you as a right-handed person were to throw a punch, it would impact where? The left cheek. 
So we're talking about a backhanded slap. It was an insult in the first century. If somebody insults you in that way, don't respond in kind. Verse 40. If anyone should sue and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Now, this is debatable. I think, well, this, I think Jesus definitely had a sense of humor. I don't think that's up for debate. But I think this was actually something that may have gotten a chuckle from the audience. Imagine somebody going to court and suing somebody else for their coat. Yeah, that's kind of a funny thing to imagine, isn't it? When it comes to the ethic of love, the point is to surprise the world around us. To go beyond what is ordinary and what is expected. It is as children of God, we are shocking folks with the ethic of love. Someone wants to take your coat, offer them the matching scarf. You know, you're going to need this as well. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This gets us back into that cultural moment. Israel was occupied by who? Occupied by Rome. Roman troops were not just conquering soldiers who were fighting battles. They were the de facto police force. They were law enforcement of the day of Jesus. And Roman soldiers were everywhere. They had the right under Roman law as they were walking from place to place carrying their heavy packs of gear. They had the right to insist that any citizen around them or non-citizen, I guess we should say any non-citizen, would carry that pack for one Roman mile, okay? That was their right, their privilege to ask you to do that, to help them out in that way. Jesus says, don't just go with them one mile and set the pack down. He says, hey, you look a little tired. You look like you could use me to carry it another mile. You mind if I do that? That would be surprising for a Jew to say that to a Roman soldier. And here's this one. If someone begs, give them something. If someone wants to borrow, don't refuse. Ouch. Like, whoa, hang on. Did Jesus really mean that? I mean, let me say this as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. And I've heard this with, with lying. I've thought this with the lust stuff. What we do is we look through the Sermon on the Mount and we are tempted to find situations where following the teaching of Jesus would be so impractical, almost impossible. I believe as followers of Jesus, we need to hear the words of Jesus and do the opposite of that. Instead of searching for loopholes, instead of searching for reasons not to follow his teaching, let's look for places where this applies, where we can make this happen. Like there are plenty of scriptures about the need for repayment of debts. There are plenty of scriptures about the need for us to repay our debts. There are plenty of scriptures like 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 about not walking around looking for handouts. Like we shouldn't just be doling things out to people who aren't willing to work. We've got that in the scripture as well. In Luke 6, which is another version of this sermon, Jesus tells us what this is all about. This is all about being extraordinary. What is ordinary, what is common, what is expected, what doesn't impress people at all is loaning someone money, expecting it back with interest. He says even the pagans do that. 
That is no big deal. That is not generosity. What is generosity, what is surprising, is going above and beyond. So again, we're looking for places where we, the children of God, surprise the world with our spirit of love, with our kindness, with our generosity. And when we do that, we reflect our identity as children of God in the world. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, of course, even if you're not a Jew or a Christian, you've heard that's normal. That's how things operate. You love your friends. You hate those who are adversarial. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Love your friends, hate your enemies. That is the OS of the world. That is the operating system of our culture and has been of every culture since time began. The kingdom operating system is upside down. It's very different. Love those who persecute. Love those enemies. Pray for those people. And this may be, I'm just going to lay it out because you're probably already thinking this, this may be the most challenging line in the whole sermon. This may be the strongest, most difficult thing Jesus had to say to people. Love your enemies. So the world doles out love. You know how it works. I know how it works. We live here and then here and now. Uh, We love people who are... I guess you could say lovable. (laughs) I mean, they share our interests. Or they are attractive. Or they love us back. Or maybe they, we love them because they're going to be able to do something for us at some point. You know? Self-interest. How on earth... Can I love that person? How on earth am I supposed to love that group? Exactly. On earth, it doesn't really happen. We are a heaven people. We are a kingdom people. We don't love with earthly resources. We love with heavenly resources. We love with the Father's love. Amen? That's what we do. And it's kind of different. It's going to get people's attention. Like, however disagreeable and difficult another person may be, they were made by God the Father. And they bear, however difficult it may be for us to see with our earthly eyes, they bear the imprint of God in their soul. And that person... Even that person is someone God loved so much that he sent his son to die for them on a Roman cross. God loves his enemies. And we, if we are to be children of God, we love our enemies. If heaven loves somebody, you need to love somebody. Sometimes when we don't feel like, let's be honest, this is hard, this is challenging. And so sometimes when we don't feel like loving another particular person, we decide intentionally 
to let the Father love that person through us. Does that make sense? I don't have the resources. I'm going to call on God, the Holy Spirit who lives in me. I need for you to love this person through my words and through my action and through my kindness because I don't feel like it. So that verse 45, we may be sons of our Father who is in heaven. God's goodness, <laughs> it is so big. It is so great that it blesses not only the lovable people, not only the good people, not only the law-abiding people, not only the people that think like us, his goodness is so big it blesses all people. Jesus said, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Like when we got rain recently, thank you God, amen? We got some rain finally. It didn't just fall on the lawns of the good folks. It fell on all of us. He is so good. Now back to this different kind of love, the one that Jesus sets up for us, his disciples, verse 46. Again, the regular kind of the world versus the extraordinary kind. For if you love those who love you back, what reward do you have? That's nothing special. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, fist bump the brothers, say hey to them, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do that. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You need to love like God loves. Now, perfect like God, that's pretty strong. Uh, probably good to point out the Greek here is teleos, which is more about maturity than it is unblemished perfection. Uh, the Amplified Bible translation puts it this way. It says, you, therefore, will be perfect, parentheses, growing into spiritual maturity both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life. Do that as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the more we act like God, the more we reflect our Father's unkind, uh, uncommon kindness and generosity uh, the more we refuse to play the games, the petty games of retaliation and getting even that go on around us all the time. Yes, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods. And the more we stand out, the more we make his presence known and felt in this fallen world. Amen? Uncommon love, a higher love. So Jesus has just kind of thrown down the gauntlets and challenged the ethical system of this sinful, dark world. The broken system says, when somebody hurts you, get even. You have every right to get even with them. Jesus challenges that. He moves then from revenge to rights. I mean, especially in America, we are people concerned with our rights. I know my rights. I will defend my rights. Am I required to carry the pack? Yeah, I'll carry the pack then. 
But I know my rights tell me I don't have to go more than a mile. So that's it. He challenges that ethic. He says, go beyond. And then he goes from (laughs) revenge to rights to returns. We like to see gain. We like to see our investments pay off even in our relationships. I do something good for someone, either now or down the road. I want to get something back for that. He says, verse 47, (laughs) even the pagans do that. So there's a call to a higher love, a different love, higher love. Jesus asks us to let God the Father love through us in ways that are going to surprise you, sometimes even shock the world around us. And notice something. These examples that Jesus lists out here for us, you know, we got some loans, we got going an extra mile. They are very mundane. They're everyday kinds of examples. These are not like spotlight moments. Oh boy, the whole world is watching. These are not big heroic acts. These are everyday acts of kindness and love and caring for another person. This is the call of Jesus to practice this kindness in our everyday lives. Some, however, have taken this teaching of Jesus and they have leveraged these words in the Sermon on the Mount in ways that have changed nations like ours. Martin Luther King Jr., who I like to remind people, he was a preacher before he was the leader of the civil rights movement. He came along and built a movement that changed our country for good based on, well, his words. It was the Sermon on the Mount, Martin Luther King Jr. said, the Sermon on the Mount rather than a doctrine of passive resistance that initially inspired the Negroes of Montgomery to dignified social action. It was Jesus of Nazareth that stirred the Negroes to protest with the creative weapon of love. Sermon on the Mount, foundation of the American civil rights movements. In fact, one time when he was jailed, he wrote a sermon based on the Sermon on the Mount. Here's some of the words. He wrote, hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence and is just as injurious to the person who hates as it is to the victim. But above all, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Benjamin Mays, Dr. Mays, a friend of Dr. King's, spoke at Reverend King's funeral and summarized his life with these words. If any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bombed. Living day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death. Maliciously accused of being a communist falsely accused of being insincere, 
stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him. And yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind. And he went up and down the length and breadth of this world preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. Dr. King and the movement he led is a witness to the power of Christ and to the revolutionary nature of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we have proof in this witness of just how much change can happen when a people, a person, a group decides to be steered by his words as if by a rudder. What about our moment? Would it be fair to say we live in a time of constant bombardment, social media, 24-hour news, portraying us as being in a culture war in America? Oh, it's a culture war. It's us against them. It's our group lining up against their group. We need to take sides. The other group, they don't want what's good. They want what's evil. They are villains. And in a moment like this, maybe it's good to just remember what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We are not of this world, though we may be in this world. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We serve a different king, and our neighbors need to see this. So he asks us in Matthew 5, 38 to 48, to turn the other cheek. He asks us to do small things, acts of service. Love means that. Love means praying for somebody, he says. Love means going the extra mile, he says. Love means looking for the good for my adversary instead of trying to demonize them and destroy them. It means living the Jesus way in the ordinary moments of our days. He isn't telling us to be completely passive. Jesus is not coming along teaching that you should let people walk all over you. It was Jesus who overturned money changers' tables in the temple. It was the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, who demanded his rights as a Roman citizen to a trial in Rome in Acts chapter 16 when he was being unjustly accused. So it's not about letting people walk all over you, but we need to remember in this world who we are. We are his people. And we are called to show his love to this world. And we can't do that unless we surprise with our kindness and compassion, with our generosity, with our concern. Consider how God treated you. When you were sinful and rebellious, he chose to treat you with kindness and mercy. Romans 5, 8 
God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Instead of retaliating, instead of leveling us, he sent his son to die for us. That's his way. I heard someone put it this way a while back. I've given God a thousand reasons not to love me, but not a single one of them has changed his mind. People who have never set foot in a church, those who have never cracked open a Bible, they know the phrases, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Salt of the earth. The question is, will we, Christ's people, Christians, will we use them not as a, not as a flag to walk under, but will we use them as a rudder to steer our lives? He lived the teachings out. He didn't just talk the talk. Jesus walked the walk as well. He was slapped and spat upon. He was called all sorts of things. He was called a, a madman, a glutton, a drunk. He was accused of being aligned with Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And instead of choosing the way of the world, instead of choosing to retaliate, he returned evil with good. He treated people well. He treated everybody he came across better than they deserved. And he treated us better than we deserved. I came across this verse when I was just spending time with the Lord this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. The author says, I love this phrase. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. What a great mission statement for us as the redeemed people of God, as children of the King. We are here to see to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. This morning, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, you can do that. You can become a follower of Jesus today and dedicate your life to learning from the Master. Maybe this morning you need prayers. We'd love to pray for you. You can come down. We'll pray for you down front during the song or you can pray with somebody next to you as we come before the Father and ask him to help us with situations or as we thank him for his work in situations that have been concerning us and now we're seeing him move in those places. If you want to be a member, come talk to us about that as well. We've got PC 101 coming up on September the 11th. Let's stand and let's worship. The
seated. You already did. Gordon, uh, we want to thank you this morning for encouraging us to exceed expectations. Or as our brother Freddie from Huntsville would say, and then some. Remember that sermon? And then some. This morning, we have a special video to introduce you to prayer partners, an opportunity for members to pray over and establish closer, closer relationships with our children in the Addicts Kids class. Let's watch as Rowan Chestnut tells us what a prayer partner has meant to him. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and that you may be healed. The prayer of this person has great power in, as it's working. A prayer partner is a friend. Prayer partners help and support one another in love and truth. And pray for one another, specifically when they go to the Father in prayer. And I love to see my prayer partner and their family whenever I go to church and sit next to them and worship. Uh, they have been such a blessing to me, and I hope everyone has a chance to have one. Thank you, Rowan. As you exit the auditorium this morning, please sign up at the prayer partner table in the foyer and enjoy these new relationships. My wife, Kathy, and I have both prayed for and gotten to know these children and their parents much better through this effort, and you will be richly blessed by this experience. Also, plan on being back for 6 p.m. worship tonight for great singing and spiritual insights as Jacob Hawk concludes our study of the church's DNA in Ephesians by focusing on how to improve our relationships outside of the home. I think that kind of fits in with our sermon this morning. Don't miss this time for spiritual growth and fellowship together. So, um, Terry and Thomas, our sweet brother and sister, um, have come this morning, and I think it'd be great if you prayed for them. We're talking about loving our enemies. We're talking about how difficult it can be. And yesterday, somebody, they're on the streets. They're a brother and sister who live on the streets, and somebody decided to throw bleach on them yesterday. 
And I am so grateful that they are okay. And I'm so grateful that their hearts are okay. And I'm amazed that they're here praying for whoever this was that did this and really putting into practice the words of Jesus. So if you would just include that in our closing prayer, that'd be great. Thanks, Gordon. Let's pray first, and then we'll have our, our take-home verse. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so glad that you're in control. We see so many things around us that, that disappoint us, that upset us. And we just need to remember that you're in control, and, and that means that we need to be in control of our lives as much as possible through your teachings. Father, uh, we pray that you be with Thomas and Terry and help them get over this incident. Father, this, this world is filled with people who, who don't meet your expectations, much less exceed them. Father, help us to be different. We pray for the people that uh, did this act with Thomas and Terry, that uh, you be with them, change their hearts. Father, we pray that in our country, locally, nationally, also internationally, Father, that you would remove any leader anywhere that does not respect you, honor you, and live according to your word. Father, help us to be more like you each day. Help us just to do your will. Help us to be good examples and good servants and use our talents in your service. In your son's blessed name we pray. Amen. Please stand and read with me our take-home verse, 1 John 4, verse 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And the congregation says, Amen. Amen.